Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to explore what it takes to deliver a great presentation. And as always, please follow us on LinkedIn and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. Have you ever gone to a conference where you're excited to hear from a speaker, but when they took the podium, they ummed and odd their way through a hopelessly boring presentation that left you frustrated, a bit angry, and, and still kind of wondering what you were supposed to hear? Other times, you hear presentations that are so well-timed, they're delivered in a completely understandable manner and leave you talking about it to others and wanting an encore. Today's podcast focuses on the difference between those two presentations and how you can learn to be less of the former and more of the latter. I do a lot of public speaking. I've spent over a thousand days in my career in front of an audience. Wow, that's a lot. And if you haven't made that many presentations yet, don't worry. I had to start at some point as well. I remember when I went to work at uh, Booz Allen, there was a lady there, Lorena. When I first got there, she, she called me aside and said, Gee, Mark, let me give you a little bit of advice. Speak every chance you get. It's like, okay, interesting advice. But I, I took it to heart. And I submitted for a couple of conferences, and I didn't get accepted and submitted and didn't get accepted. Finally, I got, I got picked up. And it was in August of 86, I think it was an ASAS conference. And uh, I was speaking with uh, another presenter who was a keynote, and that was Admiral Grace Hopper. And so I had a chance to share the podium with her, which is like a really cool opportunity because she was born in 1906. And we had this little last little overlap at the end of her career. And from that perspective, I remember her talking to me and giving me a message. And she said, young man, I want you to make me a promise. Well, how do you say no to a living legend? She said, I want you to promise me that you're going to write a book or write an article on the value of information because someday information and computers are going to be worth more than the computers themselves. And companies are going to put information on their balance sheets. Well, she also gave me a nanosecond, about 11.78 inches of bell wire, which I keep in a little box in my desk. And it was pretty cool. I mean, here I was, brand new speaker, fresh out of the gate. No way that I was great. Okay, I probably did a lousy, do an okay job that first time. But after a while, I started to hit my stride. So like any other skill, you can likely get better with practice. Now, we may never become the great communicator, but with some knowledge and strategy and reputation, we can improve. And your ability to present will be directly related to your ability to influence others, which in turn will pay dividends in your life and your career. Now, there's many ways to approach a subject and plenty of books and courses and coaches you can pay for. But today, I just want to start with the basics to put you on the road to improvement. Now, I've met people who are terrified about getting up in front of an audience. Uh, research shows that over 75% of people suffer from glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. You may remember that for Jeopardy. And in some people, that fear is greater than the fear of dying. Well, maybe that's why comedians use that term when their audience isn't laughing. Anyway, if you've ever felt your heart race or your mouth get dry or maybe even broke a sweat when asked to get up in front of others, guess what? You are perfectly normal. There, feel better? Now, that said, our goal is to get you to be better than normal, kind of like Lake Wobegon, where all the children are above average. Harvard Business Review 
published a great article entitled, To Overcome Your Fear of Public Speaking, Stop Thinking About Yourself. The author asserts that prehistoric humans perceived eyes watching us as an existential threat. I mean, it might be a saber-toothed tiger or a wolf or even some warring tribe peering out of the darkness at you. Now that kicked in our fight-or-flight instinct, and away we went. Or we froze and got eaten, but chances are if your ancestors did that, you wouldn't be here now. Now fast forward a few thousand years, and our homo sapiens brain has transformed that fear of being watched into fear of public speaking. Now, that sounded rather fanciful to me, but when you think about it, the same type of physiological reactions seem to accompany both experiences, so maybe she's onto something. Anyway, one way to settle down your brain is to try to be generous. Huh? Yeah. Studies have shown that increased generosity results in decreased anxiety. So what can you do to take advantage of this insight? One, when you prepare your talk, focus on your audience. Most times we think about the content of the presentation and we run the risk of a clinical, technical, and dry presentation while we hold on to the podium with both hands in a death grip. First, think about who's going to be listening and what your message can do to help their lives or careers. Why is someone even listening to you? And what do they hope to gain from listening? What I found helpful is the thought that what you have to say is valuable to somebody else. And you have got the privilege to share with them. Now say that again. Your message has value. If you're given a meal to share with a hungry person, would you keep it to yourself? Of course not. Most of us feel good about sharing, and in particular when we help somebody receive something they need. Well, that is your message. Think about the difference you can make in somebody else's life, job, or career if you let them know what you know. Think about what your audience needs and speak directly to that need. I was at a conference a few years ago and was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, his wife was there, and she was getting ready to do her very first talk, and she was terrified. And it's like kind of normal. Well, as I said, I do this a lot. And, and so I, I approached her. I said, look, let me explain something to you. It's not, you know, forget about everything everybody told you, like your audience is in the underwear, or you're in your underwear, or whatever it happens to be. What do you want to talk about? Is this important? Yeah. Why is this important to you? And I can see she's really passionate about her message. And he said, as you're telling it to me, this is getting really exciting. You get to share your message with all those people, and they're going to get really excited about it, and you're going to make a difference in their lives. All right. So as you deliver your message, you're giving a gift. You're just giving a gift to all these different people. So give it to each person one at a time as you look at it. And after her talk, she came back and says, it was wonderful. I loved it. It was great. All that fear went away because once you realize that what you're up there for is to focus on your audience, you stop thinking about yourself. Number two, recognize that right before you speak, you're likely to be the most nervous. I remember getting ready for a keynote with over a thousand people in the audience. As the MC is reading my introduction, I closed my eyes and I saw my audience receiving the gift of my message. And like getting pumped up right before the big game, I walked onto the stage and owned it. But not because I felt I was great, but because I believed I could make a difference for everybody who cared to listen. Now, the third recommendation is to make eye contact. Not with everyone all at once. You don't want to scan the room like a science fiction robot. Instead, pick one person at a time out of the audience 
and deliver your point and then move on. Did you ever attend a talk when the speaker looked right at you? Did you feel somewhat special? Okay, maybe a little self-conscious as well, but we're working on that part. Your eye contact connects you with your audience. And subconsciously, you're addressing that latent anxiety because now you're just talking one-on-one with someone and giving them a message that's valuable. Then share more of your message with the next person. You're starting to see how it works? You'll retrain your mind to take yourself almost completely out of the equation. And when you do it enough, your speaking becomes an almost out-of-body experience where you're watching someone, you, delivering a message of value to a whole lot of people who need it. Sticking with Harvard Business Review, found another article entitled, How to Give a Killer Presentation. It discovers how the promoters of TED Talks have helped transform inexperienced, hesitating speakers into moving and inspiring presenters. Framing what you want to say is the most important part of preparation. See, people think in stories. If you ever listen to a master storyteller, you get swept up into the journey and go wherever that story takes you. You introduce your topic, why you care so much about it, and why your audience should too. But instead of aiming for broad, sweeping coverage of a topic, Narrow your focus and go deeper into detail and bring your ideas to life with examples. We've all watched detective shows or read the stories, and they start with the problem and information unfolds as the protagonist searches for a solution. At some point, the audience reaches an aha moment just before the answer is revealed, and there's a great satisfaction of knowing, I knew it, I figured it out. If you make your audience feel smart, They'll love the experience, so don't browbeat them with jargon and minutiae to show off how smart you are. Your audience already assumes you're smart. That's why they're in the audience. If you remember step one, focus on your audience. Your accomplishments and achievements become unimportant to your talk. In my opinion, if a presenter spends the first few minutes talking about how great he or she is and all they've accomplished and how smart they are, I see that as a person in dire need of self-confidence. If you had a private audience with a Pope, would you want to listen to him go on and on about how many great things he's done over his career? Of course not. That's why he's the Pope. You want to hear that special message just for you that will give you something to think about and might even transform your life. When you organize your thoughts... I think it's best to put them down in outline form or bullet points. Yeah, I know, death by PowerPoint, but PowerPoint only becomes lethal when somebody reads the slides. I remember I went to one talk a couple years ago. It was a a group of fraud examiners. I do a lot of cybersecurity work, and I've done, I started up a a fraud prevention company, Card Kill, working. And I thought, like, well, these are great people. These would be the folks I would go to. So I'm not going to mention any names here because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I went to the local chapter meeting here and they had their guest presenter and he got up there with his PowerPoint site. And oh my goodness, it was like yellow on green, about eight point font. He didn't even know it was on there. He, he's got his back to the audience, squinting up close, trying to read his own material off the slides in a monotone. It's like everything you could possibly do wrong. And I'm squirming in my seat because I do all these talks and presentations. And this guy's like, ah, finally, I look at the guy and he's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I did at home. I got in the car and left. 
it's just at some point in time, though, is that PowerPoint, if done incorrectly, can destroy you. But if you know your material and you can tell a story, the slides have two primary purposes. One, so you can maintain the flow of your presentation and not get lost. And two, it gives the visually oriented members of the audience your information in a format they can consume. Now, some people are auditory. They learn by listening. Others are visual learners. And still others are kinesthetic, meaning they learn by doing. Now, yeah, most times you can't have your audience doing something, although if you can get everyone to do a simple exercise, you can really get a point across. The next best thing is let people see what they're learning. Now, that brings me to a question for you, kind of buried deep into this talk like an Easter egg. We've been delivering podcasts for over 60 weeks now, and I sometimes feel like I'm doing a radio show in an era of cable TV. Does this format work well for you? Would you do better if I added slides and put this up on YouTube? Or what about if I just delivered in front of my webcam so you can connect visually to the presenter? Send us a message and let me know, either by replying on LinkedIn, and I mean, you do follow us, right? Or email me at gmhardy at gmhardy.com. Okay, back to the show. The next tip for success is to practice and rehearse your presentation until it goes smoothly, delivers your message in a meaningful manner, and finishes on time. I cannot overemphasize that last point. Speakers that go over run the risk of disrupting a conference agenda, making your audience late for the next event, and in general, show a lack of understanding about the privilege of public speaking and what that entails. I've been to conferences where they cut off the speaker's microphone when time is up. Now, frankly, that doesn't bother me because after years of speaking, I can talk like Demosthenes and project without a microphone. I've seen some hacker cons one-up speakers who go along by playing loud music and turning off the microphone. So get your presentation delivery down to the minute. Now, how am I going to do that, you ask? Let me share with you a secret. I figured this out after all these years. And I'm not sure I've read this anywhere. So this is where I get to deliver something special that's going to make a huge difference for you. Are you ready for it? Okay, see what I just did? I created a form of tension that sets you up for a big release. Ah, I you say, okay, so I'll come back and I'll give you the secret. Use your stories to throttle your presentation. Now, it sounds simple, but think about it. Storytelling is an important part of many presentations. It helps get the point across by illustrating an example. And so there are really two things there, the story and the point. And if you've rehearsed your presentation and you know where you should be because you put time ticks on your slides, and hopefully only on your notes, not what the audience sees, when you're running ahead of schedule, tell a story. When you're behind, make the point, pause, and move on. Stories, by the way, should really not be longer than a minute apiece. So now you can fine-tune your pace to land your talk on the numbers. I put brackets around a story name in my speaker notes, which gives me an option to either add a minute or skip ahead without losing the flow of a presentation. Neat idea, huh? Give it a try. Okay, back to what I just did a few minutes ago. Building up tension and then pausing. There are all kinds of ways to keep your audience engaged, and well, that's one of them. 
You can capture your audience's attention with intrigue. When I said I had a secret I was sharing for the first time, and yes, that is true, you probably leaned forward a little bit and got drawn in. That works really well for stories. Introduce them with a compelling question or an idea that you resolve in the next 60 seconds with your narrative. Or just address with your point, depending on whether you're ahead or behind. Now, presentations are not long marches. You vary your cadence based on the relative importance of what you're saying and use the tempo of your language to create and maintain interest. Forget the PowerPoint and the audience and imagine you're just talking one-on-one. You'd have some animation to your voice and you'd even show emotion when appropriate. Here's another tip for grabbing someone's attention. If you're having a one-on-one conversation, use someone's name. Have you ever been in a classroom not paying attention? We can't remember this one of the kids. I only hear the teacher say your name and you suddenly turn around and your internal voice says, what was the teacher just talking about? And you're seeking for any clue, your body begins fully listening to the next words coming from the teacher, right? The same thing can happen with listeners. <laughs> for example, hey, Ross, I got to tell you about this amazing idea I have for a next podcast. Well, even if he's got his head down listening, he's like, oh, what, what? You call my name. Another technique is start with a picture that can capture everyone's attention. I have a friend who runs a security awareness company called Native Intelligence, and she's an absolute master at graphics and artwork and basically making my boring PowerPoint slides look compelling. I don't know how many thousands of pieces of clip art and graphics and other eye candy she has, but her use of pictures can really bring a presentation alive. Now, for example, I want to contract to develop custom security awareness training for a new client. Now, honestly, there's just so much that mass-produced videos can do to influence behavior. So quick ad here, if you want to change your user's behavior, give me a call. At one point, I want to talk about the dangers of road apples or USB drives left in parking lots, lunchrooms, and the like. My slide was pretty simple, words. Now, her remaster of the concept was a picture of a plastic container with a fresh meal in it sitting on a sidewalk with the caption, what would you do? Well, would you pick it up and start eating? Well, maybe you'd want to sniff it first. Heck no, there's no way you'd put some random sidewalk food into your mouth. Blah! Well, if you wouldn't do that, why would you do it to your laptop? I see how that worked. The simple visual of a takeout container on the sidewalk, even with a nice fresh meal in it, hits a nerve when you're asked if you'd eat it. Well, maybe with the exception of Bill Murray and Caddyshack. But that visual image, combined with an emotional connection, drives home your point. Remember when you were little? What did mom tell you about other people when you went outside? Don't talk to strangers. Today, we probably tell that to our kids, but it's probably don't text to strangers. Anyway, there's an initial connection, a hook, when we're asked to recall something about our early lives. And let's use that as a way to introduce the dangers presented by fishing. Now that we have the audience connected to us, let's set the hook a little. To do that, we ask a thought-provoking question. Now, here's one example you can do on your next fishing awareness training. Show a slide that has a picture of an executive with accompanying information you see about them on social media. This slide may have a picture of them with their family, list of their hobbies, information about where they grew up, pictures of their interests, etc. Now, ask the audience to imagine they're a bad actor for a moment. What type of custom phishing attacks would you use against this executive? Now the audience can engage for a quick minute about creating a phishing attack based on what's on the screen. 
Then you can then go on to your next slide and show a custom phishing message that the user clicks on, which gives away his or her email address and password to log into a page. And the story continues. And what happens next? By asking thought-provoking questions and engaging your audience in the presentation, listeners stay focused versus thinking about all the other stuff they got to do that day. Now that our listeners are fully engaged and the hook is set, kind of really need to reel them in with a specific direction. And we can do that with succinct points that show what the norm is today, why it's lacking, and what the fix is. So let's continue our fishing story. Since the executive types in their email and password, the bad actor now has credentials to log into the executive's account. Now here's the problem. Many executives reuse the same password for multiple sites. Well, actually, it doesn't have to be executives. A lot of people do. For example, if the executive uses an email password to also log into LinkedIn and to Google, the attacker could create a social media message that might cause serious brand damage to the company, or worse. When AP's Twitter account got hacked nine years ago, the message, breaking two explosions in the White House and Barack Obama is injured, caused the stock market to plunge $136 billion in seconds. And it was fake news. Now, just think of the brand damage if an attacker issued a message from our company that said our product just killed several people. How much would it cost to clean that up? Now, back to your message. Instead, we're recommending each executive use a password manager and enable multi-factor authentication on their personal accounts. Those extra couple of seconds will become an easy habit and may save us from a huge potential loss. See what we did? We created a scenario we showed how bad it could be. We put the person in the role of being in that scenario and brought it back to what the message we want them to do, that change in behavior. So to recap, the audience knows the problem of today, that is phishing, and has initially heard what the solution is to the problem. However, they may not understand what the solution fully entails. Thus, you might have a slide that teaches them how to use a password manager and maybe another slide on multi-factor authentication. Okay. So now that you have the audience reeled in, there's one last part of the landing, a big fish. It's putting the into the boat or maybe using a net. Now, usually you need a slide that clarifies the decision being made. Here's the problem. Here's the proposed solution. Here's how much it costs to implement. And usually you've covered what alternatives were not as good. And here are the next steps that will happen when the decision is approved. Get a decision, get your funding, and move on. And that's a short and sweet presentation style that works. But there's one thing I left out for this example, and I have included in my overall talk. Can you think of what it was? In the military, we got an acronym called BLUF, B-L-U-F, bottom line up front. You probably heard of it. The biggest difference you face when briefing an executive audience versus a conference audience is the time you have and the results you see. When teaching a subject, showing some research or presenting the results of a study, you build up to a conclusion. When you're speaking to executives, bluff. Bottom line up front. Did you ever watch Shark Tank? When someone steps onto the stage, they don't say, hello, sharks, I'm going to dazzle you with my amazing invention and show you all kinds of neat stuff, and then let's talk price. Instead, they begin with a bluff. Hello, Sharks. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and I'm here to ask for $50,000 in exchange for 8% of CISO Tradecraft. You see the Sharks writing up notes, and then the discussion goes on from there. The audience, the executive audience, knows up front what is being asked of them. 
Everything else is just to get them to the point where they're comfortable making a decision. Years ago, I, I interviewed for a job at a firm known as Chicago Research and Trading. They did high-speed trading on the exchanges at a time when deals were still made by reps wearing numbered jackets, shouting bids in the pit. Now go watch Trading Places with Eddie Murphy if you want to see how it was done back in the 80s. They wrote their algorithms in APL, a programming language which I first learned as a teenager and which I'm still proficient decades later. I loved it. They printed out price slips every five minutes based on market moves and ran them down to the traders who would place simultaneous buys and sells in different pits, capturing the arbitrage and the inefficiencies of the distributed nature of multiple markets. And they were able to make hundreds of millions without ever holding a position overnight. Brilliant. Anyway, when I interviewed with the CIO, he said that the three partners had hired him to create an IT infrastructure that could match future growth. He spent weeks researching all the requirements, figured out all the prices, and prepared a compelling presentation of all kinds of facts and figures and justification. And when he started his presentation to his partners, he began with his bluff. I need $18 million to modernize our IT systems. And one of the partners looked at the other and he said, I think Chris wants a raise in his allowance. All right, you've got it, said the other partner with a smile. But, but Chris, he said, I haven't even shown you my presentation. The partners looked at him and said, we hired you because we trusted you. We trusted that you knew what we were doing and that you knew what you were doing. And if you say we need $18 million, we believe you. And that was that. Now, do not expect to get away with that and skip preparing your materials, but do be ready to skip to the end when your executive audience says, okay, there's an important lesson here for executive pitches. Don't fall in love with your presentation. It is only a vehicle to convey your message. It's the message that's important. Your presentation is the box and the bubble wrap. It safely delivers your payload. It's what's inside that counts. Okay, I could go on and on with speaking tips, but let's take a few minutes to examine a little brain science that I think you'll find interesting. David Phillips delivered a TEDx talk called The Magical Science of Storytelling about how you can use neuroscience and biology to influence listeners. In his talk, he introduces the concept of the angel's cocktail of dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins. He teaches that neurotransmitters and hormones can change the way we think. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that stimulates focus, motivation, and memory. Now, to help an audience remember something, tell a story that builds suspense and has a cliffhanger. Typically, this arises from someone wanting to do something, but there's an obstacle that creates conflict, and that stops the hero of the story. For example, Take any Jack Ryan story. Jack's supposed to have a boring analyst job at the CIA, but a major event such as an attack at the White House happens, and he's quickly called into action. This brings a thrill that engages the audiences, so they pay close attention because they don't want to miss any key events in the story. Think about the stories you tell from cyber, which also build suspense. Is there an incident response investigation or a high-priority astronaut regulator that has a cliffhanger? An effective story that builds suspense helps your audience remember more. Hey, quick, what was that timing secret that I shared with you earlier? See, it does work. <laughs> Unless you weren't paying attention, and now you got to scroll back and find the answer. The second element of the angel's cocktail is oxytocin. This hormone is associated with generosity, 
trust and bonding. If you're trying to develop a relationship of trust with someone new, try telling a true story that creates empathy or, or makes you vulnerable. For example, you might tell a story about how a family member just had a terrible accident. You spent all weekend with them in the ER. This type of story makes you vulnerable, but it opens you up to connecting on a deeper level than just the normal chit chat about the weather. One of the key ways to create an empathic story is to use the concept of delaying. During the time I was in the ER, I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I just kept wondering if this was the last time I was going to see this person. And, on, and here the audience says, no, it's going to play out. So the story's more engaging. Take a listen the next time you're with a salesman and see if this technique is being used on you. Right? Trying to pull you into a story like that. If you make yourself vulnerable, remember, you're likely to encourage trust and bonding through empathy. The last element of the angel's cocktail is endorphins. These cause good feelings that make you creative, relaxed, and focused. And the secret to bringing out these feelings is to make folks laugh. And one simple way to do that is to be overly dramatic. I mean, for example, I just moved to the city about five months ago, and I've still yet to find a good place to get a haircut. The guy I went to the last time must have attended the Vincent Van Gogh Barber School because I'm pretty sure he took off a piece of my ear when he cut my hair. Now, don't tell my wife, but I just ordered a Floby on eBay. Now, she finds out, tell her it's for the dog. Now, people laugh, they get relaxed, and be a little bit more creative. Now, be careful about the use of humor, because some people are funny, and some people are not, okay? And occasionally, I've been to talks where executives get up, they kind of hold the podium, and they tap the mic. Hello, is this thing on? Um, okay, um... Uh, two guys walk into a bar and they, they think that somehow by reading, by reading a joke, it makes them funny. I mean, it's kind of, you squirm in a way and maybe it's funny watching him try to be funny, but don't force behavior. If, if it's not who you are, it's not who you are. But if you're able to go ahead and put some humor in your stuff, if you're naturally able to weave that in, do it, have some fun with it and let people enjoy it. Because if people laugh, as I said, they get relaxed. They get a little bit relaxed, they get more creative, and they get maybe more receptive to your message. So to recap, next time you have a meeting, think about what feelings you want the audience to take away. Tell a kind of story that can stimulate the right hormones that correspond to the outcome you want. And you'll be much more effective at getting what you want out of your meeting. Now, before we close, I just want to give you one practical tip to avoid death by PowerPoint. It's a matter of style, but I limit my messages on each slide to six bullet points or less. I think we can all agree that if there's a lot of data on a slide, the audience has to choose between reading the slide or paying attention to the speaker. Don't give them that choice. Simplify your slides so they pay attention to you. And if you do that, you just might get everybody paying attention to that one piece of cyber advice they really, really need to hear. Remember, there's an old proverb that says, to go fast, go alone, to go far go together. You go together when you tell good stories that create memories and allow others to connect. Cyber should never really be a solo sport. Let me finish with a quote from that Harvard Business Review story on TED Talks. Presentations rise or fall on the quality of the idea, the narrative, and the passion of the speaker. It's about substance, not speaking style, or multimedia pyrotechnics. It's fairly easy to coach out the problems in a talk, 
but there's no way to coach in the basic story. The presenter has to have the raw material. If you have something to say, you can build a great talk. But if the central theme isn't there, you're better off not speaking. Decline the invitation. Go back to work and wait until you have a compelling idea that's really worth sharing. Thanks again for listening to our CISO Tradecraft podcast. This is your host, G. Mark Hardy. And if you learned something new today, please share it on social media and provide a link to our podcast. We'd love to see you subscribe to our show and have more of your colleagues listen to as well. I hope you found this presentation valuable. Until next time, stay safe.